You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. 30 years as a pastor, I've seen this kind of thing continue to go on in the church. People that are actively attending a church service where the true God is represented, and yet their lives, they're involved in sexual sin. They have their own little idols, and so they want to worship the Lord but have their idols too. In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that throughout the history of the Israelites told in the Old Testament, the Israelites wanted to worship both God and any other God of their choosing. They wanted to worship the Lord, but also false gods and goddesses of their local cultures. But how often is this true of us? Maybe we don't have gold idols, but how often do we find ourselves wanting to worship God as well as something else, like food or money or anything else other than God himself? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, as he begins his message, Sin and the Need for Godly Leadership. Exodus chapter 32, and I know we skipped over quite a few chapters. We will summarize those in a couple of weeks. It's all having to do with the tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle, and certainly all that is significant and has tremendous message to it because Hebrews tells us that God told Moses to be sure you make everything exactly like the blueprint I gave you because everything in that tabernacle relates to something in heaven. And so that should be a very interesting and insightful study. But we jump ahead to chapter 32. Moses is on the mountain and he's receiving um, the law and the regulations that go with the law. And verse 1 starts out this way, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. He was only there for 40 days. We don't know how many days have gone by before this event takes place, but it wasn't long. And it's just incredible that something like this could have happened to a group of people that God had done so much for. Can you imagine being in Egypt with the Israelites and experiencing all the tremendous things that God did and then the final deliverance and then the Red Sea, the miraculous provision of manna? I mean, there's not a people 
that you can find a group of people that God has done more for than these people. And now so quickly, they go to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' older brother. He should have been the example, but he wasn't. Notice what Aaron answers, verse 2. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Now, where did they get all these uh, earrings? Where Where did they get all the jewelry? From Egypt, from the Egyptians. Because God said, you'll plunder the Egyptians. They'll be so excited for you to go, want you to go so bad, you can go and ask for anything, they'll give it to you. And Aaron says, well, take off all the jewelry. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And don't miss this. This is important to the story. Fashioning it with a tool. So he fashioned it. He carved it out. A calf. They say that the Egyptian god Apis and the Phoenician god Baal were both depicted as bulls, not always as bulls, but a lot of times as bulls. And so it's no surprise that Aaron made a calf because that's what they would have been familiar with, not only in Egypt, but the surrounding lands and peoples as well. He makes an idol. And then they says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now, it doesn't get any better. A festival to the Lord, to the Lord, a festival to the Lord. And yet the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings before this idol. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, pagan revelry. The Hebrew word suggests it involved sexual immorality. A festival to the Lord, bowing to an idol. Now stop there for just a minute because I had to go back to a story or go forward really to a story in 2 Kings. You might want to turn with me, 2 Kings chapter 17. The setting is, well, it's years later, but Israel has once again gone into idolatry. God has given the children of Israel and the people of Israel over to the king of Assyria. He has deported them uh, from Israel, many of them, to Assyria and imported people from Assyria uh, into Israel, specifically the land of Samaria. If you're there, 2 Kings 17, verse 25, when they first lived there, they didn't worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He sent lions among them, which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The men from Babylon made Succoth Benoth, one of their gods. The men from Kutha made Nergal, one of their gods. The men from Hamath made Ashima. 
The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Savarvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. And here's what you want to see. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. 30 years as a pastor, I've seen this kind of thing continue to go on in the church. People that are actively attending a church service where the true God is represented and yet their lives, they're involved in sexual sin. They have their own little idols and so they want to worship the Lord but have their idols too. It's been the same throughout history. We want our cake and eat it too. But let's remember the first of those 10 commandments that God is writing on tablets of stone as Moses is up on the mountain. Here's the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. It's impossible to worship anything or anyone else and worship God too. Now the story continues back in Exodus. Verse 7, then the Lord said to Moses, I like this. Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. I just can't help but laugh when I read that. God says to Moses, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. I'll never forget a message by Gail Irwin. I don't know if many of you guys remember Gail Irwin. He's a man, Gail Irwin, great Bible teacher. And I was on a trip to Israel with him years ago, and we were down by the Dead Sea, down in the area where the little boy years ago found what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a fascinating place to visit. And Gail Irwin was our teacher at that particular stop. I don't remember all the details and the text he used, but I remember his main point. His main point was how historically, biblically, you have reference after reference of how stiff-necked the Israelites were. Stiff-necked. Leave the text one more time. A couple of stops. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, the people in the land of promise, do not say to yourselves, the Lord has brought me here to the land of promise to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land, the promised land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand them, that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this, never forget how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. You jump down, same chapter, verse 13. And the Lord said to me, I've seen this people, and they're a stiff-necked people indeed. 
You jump down to verse 24. You've been rebellious against the Lord ever since I have known you. Exodus chapter 33, verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of promise, but I will not go with you, God says, because you're a stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. Same chapter, verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. You go back, just briefly, to 2 Kings 17. Fast forward historically one more time. 2 Kings 17, verse 13. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands, decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers. You don't need to turn to it. Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26 says the same thing. You don't need to turn to this one. You can fast forward all the way to the beginning of the New Testament and Stephen's message that got him killed, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he said in the climax of that message, you're just like your forefathers, stiff-necked. And as Gail Irwin shared that message at the Dead Sea, it was one of those nuggets Those nuggets of a message that I'll never, ever forget. You know, I've said before, and it's true, you can listen to a thousand messages, but we don't remember a thousand messages. We remember little nuggets. And that was one little nugget that I took away that I'll never forget because it's so magnified for me as never before the incredible grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. God says, leave me alone. I'll destroy them, and I'll start over with you. But here's what Moses does. Chapter 32, Exodus, verse 11. But Moses sought the favor. That word translated favor is also translated many times, especially in the New Testament. Uh, The Greek word that's equal to it is grace. Moses sought the grace of the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said... Why should your anger burn against your people? He just gave the people back to God. God said, your people, they're the ones. And Moses says, wait a minute, God, they're your people. Whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? To kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now that's a good way to pray. That's a good note for prayer. Oh, I know they deserve it. I know I deserve it. But wait a minute, Lord, they're yours. They're yours. And what would the world say if you just destroyed them after redeeming them? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it'll be their inheritance forever. That's a second good point for prayer. Hey, God, remember what you said? Remember your word? You know, prayer is more for us than anything else. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, I know there's some mystery there. I can't completely explain these things. When you find God 
intending to do something, but then he relents. And while I can't explain it, I certainly can understand power in prayer and the need for us to be praying, not only for one another, but for those that would be destroyed if it were not for the privilege of our intercession. Isn't it great you get to pray for your kids? I pray for my kids every single day. And I've said that before, and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. I pray for them every day. Uh, I just had to do a new password on my computer. I use one of my children's names for my password. And I just mix it up. I change the name to a different uh, child, and then I change the, the order of something. And uh, I've only used two children so far, but I've got four. But, it, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm on my second one. And Every day, when I have to type in that password, every day, I pray for them. Now, I pray for all my children every day, every morning. I pray for all four of them every morning, okay? But I'm finding that now, that fresh reminder, every time I have to type in that password, and I have to type it in several times a day, but uh, every time I do, I say a prayer. There's power in prayer. Power in prayer. I'm so delighted, even though the numbers have decreased, the power has increased in terms of us emphasizing more than ever before the need for us to pray, to pray. What a privilege to intercede, like Moses does here. And where did he get this kind of heart? It was God. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Forty years before, if God had said this to Moses, well, let's just destroy them and I'll use you and again we'll start all over. I don't know what Moses might have said. You know, he was a proud guy back then, full of himself. 40 years on the backside of the desert, he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now he's got a heart like God's. And God's saying, and really testing him. That's really kind of what God's doing. He's testing him. Hey, you just get out of my way. I'll destroy them and we'll start over with you. And Moses says, wait a minute. And Moses shows the heart of God by interceding on behalf of the people. What a great privilege. Verse 15, chapter 32, Moses turned, went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. I can't wait to see God's handwriting. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Deuteronomy, when he recounts this to the people, he says, I did it in front of everybody. There was a point to be made. How quickly they broke the very commandments that they said we will keep. And I coach, I hope we all understand. God knew they couldn't keep them. We may come back to that. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. <laughs> I wonder if that's where mothers got the idea of washing their mouths out with soap. I don't know. But that's kind of what it's like. He made them drink it. And he said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? I underline those two words, led them into such great sin. 
And I love Aaron's answer as much as I love Adam's answer when God said to him, what is this you have done? And of course, what did Adam say? The woman you gave me. What a weak answer. What a wrong answer. Verse 22, look at Aaron's answer. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And so he gave in to the pressure. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. He's a grown man. He's Moses' older brother. What an amazing answer. What a ridiculous answer. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. I underlined that. And so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. Now this is tough to chew on, but it happened. Strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. I know that's a tough one to chew on. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. I do think there's a message here in this literal story. The law and those who aren't willing to repent after disobeying the law, destruction. That's where they're headed. And God uses the nation of Israel, if you will, to mete out that judgment in this particular historical account. 3,000 people died because they broke the law. And then you flash forward to Acts chapter 1 in the day of Pentecost, and now the grace of God, because the law, all the law does is condemn. We all have to come to the point where we realize we've broken God's law. We all have to come to the point where we realize, hey, we're stiff-necked. We're stiff-necked people. You understand that? There's no one who does righteous, not one. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all deserve destruction. But while the breaking of the law brought 3,000 people to be destroyed, the grace of God on that day, Acts chapter 1, brought 3,000 people into the kingdom of God by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a great, great thing. The Levites did as Moses commanded. That day 3,000 died, and the Lord said, Moses said, you've been set apart to the Lord today because of the stand you took. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book you have written. And there again you see a heart in Moses like the heart of God. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my fellow Israelites. Another way to say it is, I'd be willing to be damned if it would save Israel, my own people. Moses so loves these people. 
Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of Exodus, Pastor Danny has been helping you see that God continually looks out for His people. When you think about God, do you see Him looking out for your protection and provision simply because He loves you? God persistently cares about the things going on in your life, from the smallest details to the really big deal events. We hope that's an encouragement to you. God's aware of the things going on in your life, and He's looking to bring about resolution to the chaos. Keep trusting Him, and keep connecting with Him through the Bible and through prayer. If you want to hear this teaching in Exodus again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Sermons tab. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading plan. You'll find it under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.